Welcome to the next edition of PJ Live, the podcast. We want to use this platform to connect you with interesting people, to bring insight on matters affecting members, discuss timely new topics, analyse trends and inspire our members. Through this podcast series, we'll be spending time with a wide variety of people, including members of staff, members of the association, and also members of the wider golf industry, discussing subjects that are relevant to you as members, as well as what's going on in the day-to-day of the golf industry. My name is Rich Barker, and I will be your host. Day job at the PGA is as Executive Director of Business Development. If you're expecting an experienced and polished podcast host, I can only apologise in advance. I am, however, excited to be on the journey with you, and will be doing my best to keep everybody in line. PJ Live, the podcast has evolved from the PJ Live webinar series that we launched earlier this year during lockdown. We already have lots of ways of communicating with you as members, including digital and print versions of the magazine, the weekly connect email and the members website to name just a few. Welcome to PJ Live, the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're all very welcome. On today's podcast, we're going to discuss events and entertainment. The pandemic has restricted events for the last 12 months. People have not been able to get together at their club with their group of friends or as their golf society. When the restrictions allow corporate events, society days, groups of friends gathering together will be big business as people look to spend time with those they haven't seen for some time. More than that, many club members, especially those who have recently joined their new club, won't have been inside their clubhouse for many months. With the pandemic hopefully easing, we wanted to discuss how PJ members can use entertainment to help their business and support their members. Today, I'm joined by a very well-known PJ member, after-dinner speaker and trick show legend, Jeremy Dale. Welcome, Jeremy. Great to have you with us. Afternoon, Richard. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. So we'll go straight into uh, my first question, Jeremy. Um, You recently wrote a guide on how events can help create a golfing cheers Um, please could you start by giving our listeners an overview of what qualifies you to educate on this subject and perhaps you could introduce your guide and the thinking behind it. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yes, I did write a a, a guide and um, the the name was Creating a Golfing Cheers because I think a lot of clubs uh, lack um, the same atmosphere as the bar Cheers from the TV show where everybody knows your name. Uh, A legendary show and we all loved it. It looks a bit dated now if you watch it again, but... um, I've actually seen this work. I was a, as a, I had 10 years in the Netherlands and there was a club that I'd worked at on the east, east side of, uh, of Holland. Um, and they had exactly this. It wasn't just a golf club. It was a really social club. The bar was round every night. Uh, it was a great restaurant. Uh, and people would just come there, not even, even, even if they weren't going to play golf. It was only terrace. Um, and they had the atmosphere just right. And uh, compared to a lot of clubs that I'd seen in England um, before that time, and since, uh, I just couldn't help but think that's an area where we, we, we lack. Um, and in the intervening 20 years, um, I've been, a, as you said, a, tr- a trick shot artist, uh, a speaker, an interviewer. Uh, I've performed at numerous um, corporate events, charity events, club events, all over the tour events as well, uh, in, in 43 countries. And I've seen how entertainment uh, really affects people. And you'd be surprised at, at how... How, how high a value people put on uh, a great day where something unusual happened at the, uh, at the course. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a, an event um, with um, at Rob Maxfield, uh, 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 this club in, uh, in Wolfstanton Golf Club. Uh, and Rob had just been made CEO of the PGA. Uh, and we hadn't met, but uh, I turned up and I did a show and they had a shotgun start before I did a show. They were a great audience. Uh, and it was the kind of club where... Um, 
you know, you walked in and it was it was a typical golf club. There were signs everywhere about what you couldn't do. Uh, and then the decor was, you know, 80s at best. Um, but the people were amazing. So what you walked into, this is where golf gets itself into trouble, I think. The perception walking in was completely different to what the reality was. They were fantastic. We had a great day. They loved the show uh, and they were a brilliant audience. And then Rob did a, a speech about the, the, uh, about the, uh, the PGA and the, and the Ryder Cup and its origin. He'd actually brought the Ryder Cup in. He and I then did a Q&A uh, and uh, that went on and on and on. And you know, people were queuing up to have their photos taken with the Ryder Cup. At the end of that, a guy came up to me and said, well, this has been amazing. Thank you for coming. Uh, I've been a member here for 40 years. And we've never had a day like this. This is the best day we've ever had. And it left me going, well, that wasn't actually that hard to do. This, this sort of thing can be done uh, really, really easily. If, um, if you have a look at the article, which uh, I've actually posted on uh, my LinkedIn profile, if anyone wants to read it, uh, I've got a picture of um, uh, an exhibition match from 1969 um, with Gary Player and Peter Oosterhouse. I mean, Huddersfield Golf Club are still posting about it. Which is astonishing. So you know, the, the, the memory of these events lives lives long uh, for people, and you'd be really surprised at the effect that it has. Um, so I think, yes, we want to create, um, and and this is this idea is sort of coming of age post COVID. I think uh, we want to create somewhere which people feel really attached to. Um, what you really don't want at renewal time is them doing that horrible equation where they go, "How many times have I played? Times what's the green fee?" Because if, if that's the level at which they're evaluating the value, then it's been reduced to a simple commodity um, rather than being an emotional bond. And these events do a lot uh, to create emotional bonds. Otherwise, corporations wouldn't fly in, woos them in, uh, you know, and pay him a lot uh, for people to mix with him. And, and, and uh, you know, that's a, a, at, a, at an expensive level, let's say. But uh, uh, clubs can certainly do this kind of thing. Uh, on a on a much less uh, much less budget. Good stuff. So, some of the tangible benefits then for considering entertainment when running a golf facility. I guess great opportunity to increase the experience of members, help with retention. I guess it's making your golf club membership more than a golf club membership. It's a, a place to make friends, meet people. You talk about creating a real buzz. In, in, in the document as well. I guess these are all tangible benefits and reasons to, 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 to use entertainment within your strategy. Well, it makes people talk. Uh, and if you create a group within the club uh, of what marketeers call raving fans, then they'll be your best salespeople and they'll do your job for you. Uh, and most clubs have a, a, fairly, uh, a fairly small marketing budget, which again, we, I know we're going to talk about that, which probably should change, but you want to create, you create members that are, that, will generate other members and and this is a this is just a, a way of doing it. it's not the only way of course i mean it starts with great customer service and a great golf course and all of that and there's lots of other things but if you focus on if the focus is on entertaining them while, while they're there then you you use emotion to cement the bond and that is a much better way of uh, of selling anything uh, and then you know it doesn't they don't buy then on on price is that what you mean by internal marketing then, Jeremy? Exactly what I mean. Yeah, exactly what I mean. And, and a, a portion of the marketing budget should be should be devoted to this kind of thing. Um, I mean, I wrote this article as a result of uh, being invited to speak, actually, at the Asia-Pacific Golf Conference, which uh, was in Delhi about a year and a half ago. And this, um, this idea of entertainment in clubs, I think, is... Um, 
was then a little bit ahead of its time. It's really coming to, to play now because um, golf clubs have had this lucky bounce um, last year, but they did nothing and the membership grew. So in terms of raising more revenue from the actual playing of golf, um, they can't really fill the golf courses much more with green fees because then obviously that squeezes the members out and they're full with memberships as well, a lot of them. So what are you going to do? Well, you want to retain those um, those members. And um, this became a thing. I posted this article on uh, on LinkedIn um, and a, a club in Surrey direct messaged me back going, well, this is really interesting. Um, how much is it for you to organise four events for us? I went, oh, right. This is now a product. Um, and I've been working with uh, a few clubs now uh, and planning events. We've not actually, because of COVID, obviously not been able to do, uh, not been able to do it. Um, it's something my home club at Stoke Park does very well. Um, and others now are seeing that there's a benefit to member retention. I spoke to one club uh, manager and, um, and he said, yeah, our, 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 uh, our non-retention, we lose 13% of our members each year, 13%. If you think of that in revenue, that is, uh, let's say the 500 members, that's that's pushing 80 grand. Well, yeah, well, if you spend, I mean, an event, a four-event program where you hired in, let's say, a really um, top Ryder Cup player like Sam Torrance for a Q&A and, and had other things like exhibition matches, you, you could throw maybe 10 or 12,000 pounds at that and do it amazingly. As a proportion of your marketing budget, that's money well spent. If your if your retention rate is is not good, then this is a great way to to spend the money. Um, and you know, I, I spoke to another club in uh, in Kent, and and the, there was an experienced businessman who was the chairman. He said, um, "Well, you know, how are we going to pay for this?" I said, "Well, what's your marketing budget? It should come out of that." He said, "Well, ugh, our marketing budget is five thousand pounds." I said, "Well, when you were in business in real estate, what was your marketing budget?" He said, ten percent of turnover." So it's, you know, you're going to go, well, yeah, something's not right there. You've got to spend a bit to, to get a bit. And everybody understands that, I think. Um, so internal marketing is marketing to the people who are already your best customers, which any marketeer will tell you that's that's the low-hanging fruit. Those are the people you need to go after first. Absolutely. Jeremy, I mean, in, in the document, you give some great practical examples of different types of events that could be easily created, some requiring budget, some some not. Perhaps you could just provide some examples that PJ members could pick up and run with for this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the cheapest one of the lot, um, uh, and it's great actually if you've got a track man uh, and you teach with a track man, is, and I think this is ideal for a day like the club championship, is a long drive competition. Um, everybody knows that on club, champions, club championship day, everybody tries far too hard uh, they, they come off with, you know, shooting, you know, and they don't play medal all the time either. So, you know, they, they, they come off with a headache uh, and a score, which is at least 15 shots higher than they hoped it would be. And, uh, and they're miserable. So why? And then they go home uh, and, and that, the whole weekend is, and if it's a two rounder, they've got, you know, they've got to come back the following day, knowing that they've not really got much of a chance. And they're, they're kind of let down a little bit by the whole, the whole thing. So, Here's an idea. Um, run a long driving competition. If you run the start times in the morning, then create an event in the afternoon, which is just fun. So as soon as people come off, give them um, two or three shots, either on the first tee or uh, on the um, um, on the driving range, uh, straight after they've come in. So you've got a steady flow of people. Measure the shots on the track man and then have the top 15 then shoot out um, at four or five o'clock or whenever it is. Get a band, get an outdoor barbecue, uh, and make it, make it into uh, a kind of fe golfing festival, if you like. If you wanted to do that, um, 
it would cost no money and it would be great fun and a great addition to uh, club championship day uh, and obviously then you could do the prize giving as, as well if it was a one day uh, one day event obviously you couldn't probably do it if it was uh, two rounds in a day uh, but so that would be difficult to do but it could be arranged so that that was at the conclusion so let's say you have two rounds make it saturday and sunday do it on the sunday um so there's an absolutely easy one and getting a band in and doing it outside uh, makes it covid proof as well if we need to uh, by you know the summertime um so that's 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 a nice one uh, another one is um and again it depends a bit on the layout of your course uh, and what's available uh, but uh, a, a sort of two ball shootout from maybe the first tee to the 18th green or something like that. Again, with a barbecue and a band, uh, it's a bit like bringing top golf to to the club. So you create an atmosphere after a after a, a round. Let's say it's a shotgun start. Let's say it's captain's charity day, uh, and you keep people there by having maybe an outdoor bar and a, and a group of hecklers around the first tee and create some fun. And importantly, the pro has got to host it. Uh, so get a microphone, get a public address system, hire one. They're not, it's not that expensive to do so that everybody can hear you. And then you can, um, you can maybe use the band to do walk up music and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, who knows? Just, just create something out of nothing. Uh, Cause people love heckling other people whilst they're trying to play a shot. And it's just all part of the fun, isn't it? And, you know, with these long summer evenings that we have in the UK, we, we very rarely make use of them. And, you know, people are going. People are going to do the same thing at the pub. It's just not. I mean, all and all these events are golf related. What they're not are. I mean, you, you, when when somebody says club social event, what's your first image? Mine is a horrible sort of dinner dance thing <laughs> with flashing lights and a disco, completely empty door uh, dance floor, and people looking at their watches, going, "Well, how much longer before before we can reasonably go home?" Whereas this is all golf, they, all these events that are in the article, they're all they're all golf related. Um, so, and and that's what you know brings people in in Britain certainly to together is is, is it's a golf club. Uh, you know, we don't have the country club idea where there are swimming pools and tennis courts like in America, but golf is the thing that binds people together. And and golf clubs have access to a whole array of amazing people and and PGA members especially. You know, everybody who's in the golf industry, if you ring, who's a PGA member and gets another call from another PGA member, they're going to take the call. They're, they're not going to ignore you. They're going to say, right, okay, PGA member, great, I'll have a chat with you. Um, and then you can get things, get the ball rolling if you want to get other people involved. Another one is Carl uh, uh, Morris does a lovely golf psychology uh, evening and you can get him for just two hours. It doesn't have to be all day. Um Perfectly reasonable prices. Again, you could probably charge for that as well. Um, the um, the Q and A's. Uh, again, you could get somebody who's played the Ryder Cup in the nineties for for not a lot of money. Um, I mean, if you talk in Woosnam and Colin Montgomery and, and and Sam Torrance, then yes, it's a significant uh, amount. Um, but somebody like Stephen Richardson, who's played Ryder Cup and you know, finished fourth in the PGA Championship, had a wonderful career in the nineties. He could bring his re replica Ryder Cup along as well. They all get a replica. So if you choose anybody who's played Ryder Cup at all, they'll always bring the Ryder Cup and people go mad for, even if it's just a little replica and they don't know it's, it's not the real one. And it, it, people love to have their photograph taken with that, with that, with that trophy. Um, so that's a nice thing, uh, a nice thing to do as well. And that's a great one for a, a kind of a winter um, 
presentation evenings, you know how clubs do all the prizes on all the presentations and the trophies on one evening in the winter, sort of dark December evening. Um, another great one actually uh, is um, a course architecture evening. Now, everybody thinks that people don't care about golf course architecture, but they do. I know this because when I've been lucky enough to take people to Augusta National, the first thing that they've wanted to do is to walk the course Oh, right. And if you know a little bit about Mackenzie and about the golf, uh, the history of, of all of that um, and, and have read his book, which uh, if I can do a little bit, bit of a pitch for, if you've never read Alistair Mackenzie's Spirit of St Andrews, then um, then go and get a copy because you really need to know uh, what the greatest course architects thought in that particular period, um, because we're getting further and further away from that. Um, what we did anyway there's a bit of a resurgence of these ideas but it's a really good thing to know about and the book could have been written yesterday he talks about the distance debate um, so all of that is part of a, a golf course architecture evening a very good friend of mine is uh, a guy called Mike Clayton who some of you will know uh, and he's coming to live in England for four or five months of the year and will be available for this kind of thing the other thing I would say with that is um, get a good MC to interview these guys uh, I'm available, obviously. <laughs> um, we'll come back to that point. Yeah, yeah but, but you, you, you could do it. You could do it yourself. But these guys are better uh, when um, uh, when there's a host there. Uh, but those are, I think, four where you could say um, you could do that on a on a reasonably small budget. Certainly, the first two would have no cost if the pro himself can do yeah. that. Sorry. So the long drive with a track man. Uh, and the uh, and the shootout with a barbecue and a band. Maybe there's somebody in the club that, that is in a band, so they wouldn't charge you that much. But you can get really good live music for, for not very much. Uh, I know that there's no money. I'm in a band myself, and <laughs> but don't, don't do it for the money. Um, but um, so those are those are ones that you can do on a budget. If you want to spend a bit more, then um, well, there's an exhibition match idea um, where you get two. Ryder Cup players and an MC and a buggy with a PA on it, battery powered public address system. So it becomes not just two guys hitting a ball quite well round round your home track, uh, but it becomes an engaging event where you know, the audience can ask questions. The MC keeps the whole thing going. It turns it into um, you know a round with Alice, you know, which Very he was a master of. Uh, we'll all miss him greatly, but uh, he was an absolute master, and uh, uh, and he showed us all how to how to do that. I mean, yeah, what I've taken from that, Jeremy, is a bit of creative thinking. And entertainment takes many forms. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's so, the, the possibilities are endless. Um, did, you mention, did you notice that I didn't mention trick shots as well? Absolutely. Just a key point. I'm interested to know your thoughts on this. I know you have a lot of experience in this, in this area. Um, you know, it's been a turbulent 12 months um, for, for members, for golf clubs. And, you know, with the types of events we're talking about there, mo most of those will have some form of a cost, particularly some of the, the, the bigger events. Do you think that uh, clubs can pass on this additional cost? Is there ways to be creative around a, a supplementary fee for attending these types of events? And what, what's your view on that, Jeremy? Well, I think they can, actually. Um, if you were going to, uh, you know, let's say a dinner dance uh, and there was a disco and a band there and uh, then you can do that. Uh, you can certainly charge something um, to recoup the cost. I mean, if somebody's getting free drinks and, or, all night and, 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 and food, they'd expect to pay. So why not for, for entertainment? I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, so it, it's it's certainly an option. Uh, if you decide that you don't want to do that, then it ought to come, as we talked about earlier with the internal marketing, it should come out of the marketing budget. 
Um, also, there's an element of um, you could copy what Charity Golf Days do uh, as well. Now, I've been lucky enough to be invited uh, to perform at an interview at with other players as well, um, Charity Golf Days. Uh, and the way they work, and I ran, I ran one myself when my father died as well. Um, I ran a couple, actually. And uh, one of the things I did uh, was I got Jeff Miller, the England cricketer, to come and speak. He's the chairman of selectors now and a fantastic afternoon speaker. Um, and I paid him full fee. I didn't quibble at all. But what I did say was, can you get tickets for a test match and maybe throw in lunch with you because you'll be there? And he did. Uh, to his credit so I didn't haggle on the fee but I got him to donate an auction item um, and that went for more than I paid him so yes on the on the face of it uh, 1650 quid plus uh, plus expenses uh, travel expenses uh, from the north down to London uh, to Langham's Brasserie looked expensive on the face of it but actually I made uh, over 300 quid profit on him because he gave us a great uh, and he made the night you know it wasn't just that he was good he, he made the night people still talking about it how great he was. And we had Martin Bayfield for the other one. Um, and uh, I mean, Martin was amazing. Um, but, and I, and I had Andrew Brown, actually, who was a great comedian, uh, do the auction. Uh, and that was really worth it too, because he gets more people, more out of it. But how these charity events work is that, yes, there's a cost. Um, maybe you just invite people, maybe you don't, but you let them uh, donate in different ways. Um, but you, you've got to get somebody there who's going to, loosen their wallets that's going to go that's going to make a special day uh, and then they donate and, and everybody knows turning up to the charity day that that's what's going to happen so building the cost in is is can be a bit scary to start with but then you look at what the return is then you go oh actually yes we can we can invest quite a lot uh, and still make a profit we made ten thousand pounds that night without charging anybody anything we my three brothers and i and my stepmother i invited 20 people just for a dinner uh, with Adja doing the auction and uh, Jeff Miller speaking. We left envelopes on the table. Um, we had a silent auction where people had donated stuff. Uh, and then we had tickets. We had five big ticket items like England Wales tickets at Twickenham. We had Cheltenham Box. We had Jeff's thing um, and a couple of other things I forget. But those big high ticket, not memorabilia, that's just a dead loss. So there you go, right, well, whatever we raise, less the deductions is, is what we raised. And I thought if we raised five grand, we'd do well. I was just hoping that, you know, it wasn't going to make a loss, but we raised 10,000 quid and it was as easy as, it was easy, easy as that. So yes, you, you don't look at the cost, look at what you get back and the effect that you have on, on people. Uh, and that's how charity days run. So, you know, if you do, do have a captain's charity day and as a PGA member or a general manager, you're asked to get involved in that, then hiring in some entertainment is, is actually a good idea. And don't, nobody wants to watch the cheapest entertainment it's not good it's not it's not the place to save money it really isn't it's well worth spending i think just just in terms of that investment into the the event we touched on it or you touched on it a little bit earlier in the in the podcast about the the mc stroke host and i'm probably doing myself no favors in asking this question in my capacity as host of this podcast but you know how important is it to have a good host and an mc for an event and what does a good mc bring to the event that uh, that members should consider well the good mc has got to be pretty invisible actually it's their job to get um the best out of the guest you know so when i've been lucky enough to interview say tony jacklin or uh sam torrance or ian woosnam um I've 
had a bit of time before, maybe cup of tea or coffee or lunch with them beforehand to work, you know, to have a little conversation about it. Um, but my job is to get the best out of them. And it's not going to be about me. That's the last thing that's going to be about. It's going to be all about, right, how do I get the best out of these golfing guests? And as a as somebody who's been involved in golf and a PGA member, obviously you we're all knowledgeable enough to know what we want to ask them in a way that a non-golfing MC wouldn't. It just wouldn't. So that's that's the task. Um, and also to make sure that the evening runs really, uh, really smoothly. So, you know, if you've got um you've got a few jokes then 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 great um you know there's a great one from jamie raven the magician which is again another uh, thing you could you could put in as, a, as an event magic evening uh, so uh, i mean i'm doing one at uh, a, a former open championship course actually where we're doing magic evening because one of the members does a magic show and so we're going to do a golf a trick shot show before dinner uh, and then he's going to do magic after dinner so it's magic golf before and magic afterwards so that's quite nice well jamie raven um has a lovely um uh, a lovely way of introducing himself. It's lovely to, lovely to be back at whichever club, you know, PGA headquarters. They say you play an ed, uh, They say you play um, um, a venue twice in your career: once on the way up and once on the way down. It's lovely to be back at. <laughs> so, so, so that's a nice way of introducing yourself. And 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 um, yeah, I, I used that line uh, last year. Actually, I did a, an, an interview with Roger Utley, the rugby player, and I been to the course before so i use that line and it always gets a it always gets a nice uh, a, a nice laugh so um if you have one or two of those lines on up your up your sleeve that's that's a great thing uh, to do but your job is to get the best out of everybody um and i always think it's a job that is really worth a pga pro learning because it saves the captain of your club actually quite a bit of hassle if you at least at the start of his year while he's getting his feet. And he might not be an experienced public speaker. If you can take the reins and make sure that the prize giving runs well and then hand over to him for a couple of minutes to say thank you to everybody. Firstly, everybody else thanks you because listening to some club captains drone on can be, can be a bit tiresome if they're not good at it, but they want to be good at it. But if you help them, uh, then they will be. And if you're there to make sure that everything runs nicely and, and the evening doesn't drag, um, then, um, then you're well worth, well worth. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's it's, it's not a lucrative business, but it, it does pay a little bit. You can ask a little bit for it, but it's a really good task to uh, to improve the club events for, for with no bother at all, because people actually then become quite look forward quite to hearing you speak if you get good at it, and of course it gives you an, an, a platform to to advertise your yourself. Um, you, know, you might mention an offer in the shop or a, or a you know a group lesson that's coming up on the short game or something you, it, it gives you an ad, a free advert to the whole club uh, and cements your your position with them so it's a really interesting really good task a uh, really good skill rather uh, to to get good at so so Jeremy in that um, in sort of continuing that theme um, for those PJ members who perhaps haven't done a huge amount of hosting huge amount of public speaking um, what tips and advice would you give them in terms of the you know some of the key principles that you that they should be considering before they start or before they offer their services go and do the research on these elements what will be the sort of the key tips that you would uh, you would deliver i always think that um, pga pros are actually good presenters anyway because that's what you're doing in a lesson so if you've ever given a group lesson and if you haven't you should because you can make more money doing it that way um they um you're, you're already doing it 
Now, the difference between maybe standing up in front of 100 members uh, at a prize giving and standing in front of five or 10 people in a group lesson is that you know what you're going to say in the group lesson. So, therefore, know what you're going to say. Have some bullet points. Don't write it out like word for word, but just have some areas where you go, right, I'm going to say something about that. One word or a line that you can glance down and look at it and go, oh, right, yeah, that's a cue that I remember that. Um, that's a, that's a, a good thing. Know what you're going to say. And I, I learned this from doing some TV. When you're presenting to, to camera or if you're doing a YouTube video or an Instagram video, um, make sure that you know what the last line is. Because you could do it beautifully and then make a holix at the end and then you've got to redo the whole thing. So if you, and it's the same with a, with a presentation. If you miss something out, nobody will know. But if you stumble at the end and you don't finish it off and you keep rambling on because you don't quite know how to stop, um, then that's a, that's a, that's a mistake. Um, again, with your presenting, I think you're really measured. Uh, you've got a good tone of voice. You don't rush it. I think that's, again, important. Um, and you look comfortable with it. So if you can't be comfortable, at least fake being comfortable. Uh, and again, you use your tournament experience. As, you know, as, as, as pros, we've, we all play nervous. Um, and you will be nervous. But I think nothing is better than, and I wasn't good at this. I only got good because I kept doing it. Um, practice uh, so you know and, and everybody's the same everybody, everybody starts out going right this is a bit daunting but just have a go and if you make a holix of it just have another go it doesn't matter it's very interesting it won't be worse than the club captain probably <laughs> that's, that's a great point hmm? it's been interesting over the last 12 months with the amount of uh, presenting i've done with pj live in front of thousands of members um and the difference is I've, I've not actually seen any of them so i've not had faces looking at me uh i've broadly been presenting to the panel and, and, and facilitating discussion with the panel um, and for all intents and purposes there's no faces looking back to me um, I'm interested to know so you're making your first public speaking engagement and you make a slight error that you may say the wrong word you make a, a mistake how, how do you recover from that how do you make sure that, that doesn't throw you what's your top tip in in overcoming those little mistakes um I think uh, well, it depends on the mistake. Uh, you can um, you can acknowledge it and make a joke out of it, uh, and and you know say, well, you know everybody makes mistakes. Never mind. Uh, depends what the slip of the tongue is, of course. Um, but try and get used to using things to your advantage like that, uh, and and you'll get heckles too, sometimes. So you know, be ready for that. Um, I mean, you won't know what the heckle will be. So, but but having something to come back with. Uh, is is quite good. Uh, Adjur Brown, a great comedian, when he when he when he got heckled, he always used to say to the guy, "If it got really bad, he said, you know, you really shouldn't drink on an empty head.'" <laughs> <laughs> and so you get a laugh, and even though you're probably losing the battle, or have the sense to realise that yours is a non-speaking part, or, or you know something daft, have a kind of stock stock one-liners are really good to have. So and there's books on that as well. Um, I've got a whole wall full of one-liner books. I went on a comedy course as well. Um, so, you know, the, uh, there's lots of ways of telling a joke. You normally need, uh, Boris Johnson's actually quite good at this. You need three punchlines. You need three, three one-liners together. We'll usually get a, get a, get a joke, uh, get a, a laugh, uh, certainly at the end, if not at the beginning. Don't just have one one-liner. Um, also, diversion is, uh, is, is really good um, as well, like in the, uh, the example we just used um, about, uh, you know, uh, it's lovely to be back. 
people don't expect that. Uh, I, I did some work with Johnny Gould, who's a great auctioneer. And he said, yes, Johnny Gould, Channel 5 Baseball. Um, uh, so uh, so this, is, um, this is quite a big audience for me. <laughs> so, and again, I've used that. I was on a, a radio station uh, last year, over the year before, rather, uh, which sadly closed with, with COVID, no sports to talk about. So um, I was able to use that. Yes, I've got a show on Love Sport Radio, so this is quite a big audience for me. It's, it's quite, a nice, uh, quite a nice audience. So with your mistakes, either acknowledge them or completely ignore them. Uh, and don't worry, because, you know, if you make a thing out of it, everybody else will. So, I, think, uh, I, uh, I was once doing a presentation um, whilst hosting some guests at the Open Championship, and um, I actually named the wrong Open Championship venue that we were going to the next day. Um, and I made a joke of it that I was glad that everyone was listening. And uh, it actually yeah. settled my nerves. Uh, it got a huge um, uproar of laughter and it settled me down and, and, and the rest is, is almost forgettable, I guess. But uh, yeah, that is, that is an absolutely, yeah, no, you, you, again, if you're, if you're calm enough to be able to think on your feet like that, then that's a great thing. And that calmness only ever comes really from doing it. So there is no way of not feeling nervous. A bit like playing tournament golf. Don't expect one day to wake up and not be nervous. You'll be nervous. And you know, that, that's okay, because actually that doesn't determine whether you're going to be able to do it or not. Your preparation is going to be able to determine whether you're going to get the job done or not. So really prepare and even rehearse. I mean, again, I know Sam quite well, keep mentioning it, but he, um, he was terrified of the Ryder Cup speeches. So what did he do? Well, he hired a scriptwriter and he bought a lectern and he put it in his garage and he'd go down for an hour a day and practice his speech at the lectern in the garage with nobody around. You can also film yourself as well. That's a really good thing to do because you get feedback. Um, so get somebody to you, you know, grab your phone whilst you're doing it uh, and analyze your performance afterwards. Um, just like you do with your game. You know, we're all, <laughs> we've all done this kind of thing. We've analyzed, you know, how did the round go? What did I do? How did I feel? What was the cause of that? Was it a mental error? You know, how did I feel on the first tee? Was it comfortable? Um, and did that make me hit a bad shot? Well, no, probably not. Well, maybe it did, but what happened after that? Well, it's your recovery very often that, that will set the tone, not the mistake itself. Um, Good stuff. J Jeremy, I, I know that that document um, is available on your uh, social media channels. We've talked about it, but for any member who would like some support, who would like to talk to you about this subject further, what, what support can you offer um, your fellow PGA members, managers, coaches? Well, I will, I'm happy to speak to anybody, even if they don't hire me. And uh, so, you know, um, yes, there's a bit of a sales pitch in this, but equally, um, you know, you might want to do it yourself. So uh, I'd be delighted if anybody wants to get in touch. Uh, my website is jeremydale.com. So that's not difficult to find. I'm not difficult to find on social media. If you remember my name, then you can, you can find me. So direct message me through anything like Twitter, Instagram, Instagram. Um, LinkedIn or, uh, or Facebook um, or through the website and uh, I will happily chat about golf with anybody. Good stuff. The, uh, my final question, Jeremy, is um, we've, we've done this quite a few times on different PJ Live sessions and the podcast sessions um, is to sort of deviate away from the core subject and, and to go back to the person. So uh, I'd like to ask, Jeremy, who, who's been your biggest influence on your career um, individually? Oh, well, that would have to be uh, a guy called John Garner. Um, who it was a Ryder Cup player in the 1970s, played twice, uh, and um, he was British match play champion, I think, in 1972. And 
Ryder Cup 71, 73. I met him because we went on a golfing holiday. Um, my mum organised and uh, he was one of the pros doing the coaching every day. And uh, got along well with him and offered to caddy for him. And I was, you know, 17 or whatever. Got a few pro-ams. Uh, we played Beaconsfield pro-am once, or he played, I watched um, Beaconsfield and we played a few. And then suddenly in 84, he said, right, I'm going to have a go at the Open um, and, and you're coming with me. So um, we did two rounds, practice rounds at Scott's Craig, and then he qualified, played with Manuel Ballesteros, uh, which, you know, and this is me as a 17-year-old looking around going, oh, wow. Um, and that, that was Seve's Open at St Andrews. So we, we, anyway, we got through, uh, and then he played with two practice rounds and then four rounds of the Open, and he made it on the number. Um, and that was just an amazing experience for me. At one point, Gary Player got in our courtesy car, and I was sitting in the back of the seat with Gary Player, um, who then actually 30 years later hired me for his event. So, so nobody expected there in 1984 that Gary would be watching Jeremy play golf, but that actually did, did happen. Um, and then, so, and then I went to university, got a degree and he, um, he phoned me up and I was doing a market research job in London and he phoned me up and said, Jeremy, I've got a job teaching golf for you. And I think you're perfect for it. Do you want to do it? And um, I thought, yeah. And then I went to tell my mum and she went, well, you've got to. <laughs> so, so that was that. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he sent me on my way uh, and he, without his help, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even thought of, of turning professional. Um, but he believed in me and we're still in touch. He lives in New Zealand now. So he is the man that I have to thank for a, um, for a career in golf. And I think actually um, a lot of people have similar stories of one person that took an interest in them and saw some potential in them. And I always also think if you got the chance to do that for somebody, then you should do it. I think it's a really important thing to do because you can make a real difference to somebody's life. If I had not had that, I don't know what I would have been doing. Wouldn't have been market research, but it would have been maybe something that I didn't really love. Whereas obviously, you know, we all do this job because we love it. Um, so he would be the, the biggest influence on me by miles. Um, a man that really helped me. Very good. Jeremy, I really appreciate your time today. I think for me, one of the key takeaways is just encouraging PJ members to think about what could be done this year when considering entertainment uh, for their members to lay on an event. It doesn't have to be complex. Um, there are endless opportunities and there are also some great resources and support um, people out there who can provide support like yourself. So yeah, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's PJ Live, the podcast. The regularity of these podcasts are yet to be fully confirmed, but we'll be sure to let you know when the next one is available. We would welcome your company. Please let me know your feedback on today's podcast. Also let me know if there are any topics you would like us to cover in the future. Perhaps you would even like to be a guest on a future episode. Please send your feedback and questions into pga live at pga.org.uk.